This is the word of the Lord. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able to, and they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we have uh, heard your word, we pray now for your help as we focus our attention on it. We want to know what you say. We want our hearts and our lives to be more and more formed and shaped by what you say. So help us, O Lord. May we be a church faithful to your word. And we pray for our brothers and sisters in the Evangelical Free Church in Aurora as they gather together this morning and hear your word proclaimed to them. May they too be a church that honors and obeys your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Two weeks ago, I flew to Chicago for the Evangelical Free Church in America's uh, theology conference for pastors, and it reminded me of the very first evangelical free church theology conference I attended 15 years ago now. That was in Indianapolis. And so I also flew there and uh, rented a car for that trip. It was a Dodge PT Cruiser. I remember how nervous I felt when I had to bring it back. Bring it back to the airport uh, after the conference was done, knowing that I would have to face an inspection. So when I pulled into the parking space, the attendant uh, came over and immediately started to look the car over on the outside, looking for any damage or, or scratches on the car. Uh, when I got out of the vehicle then, he then peeked inside the car, checking the gas gauge and looking things over uh, on the interior for any, any stains or damage done uh, to the interior of the vehicle. And thankfully, they didn't find anything, and I wasn't charged any extra fees uh, for that vehicle. But, but why did I need to go through such an examination once I was finished with using that car? Well, of course, it's because the car didn't belong to me. It belonged to them. It was their car. So I not only had to return it to them after I was done, I was also held responsible for what I did with what belonged to them. And that's the main message of what Jesus is saying here in our passage. We see here that we will always live under 
powerful people who will oppose the Lord, which, of course, will be a challenge for us. It will be costly. But Jesus assures us that despite their claims on our lives, we belong to God. You belong to God. And so ultimately, we will not have to answer to them, but to him, with how we have lived and how we responded to his son, whom he sent into the world. Uh, Benjamin Franklin was known to have said that in life, nothing is certain except death and taxes. Well, here Jesus wants us to know that, that Franklin's statement was incomplete. It was missing another huge certainty, one that, that Franklin may have intentionally neglected to mention. That is the reality of God and our responsibility to him. That is also certain in life. So our main theme from this passage is that we belong to God. You belong to God. We belong to God, yet live under rulers who will always oppose him. Now these verses come immediately after the parable of the tenant farmers in which Jesus referred to the leaders of Israel as those who refused to return to God what belonged to him. What Jesus says in verse 25 points back to that parable. Verse 19 tells us how the leaders of the Jews responded to what Jesus said in that parable, what he was teaching. It, it angered them so much that they wanted to do the very thing uh, that Jesus predicted that they would do in that parable. They wanted to lay hands on God's Son and silence him, for they knew Jesus was referring to them as the wicked tenants in the parable, and they took offense. They didn't attack Jesus, though, at that, at that point, for they were afraid of the people, it says. It seems the majority of the crowds in Jerusalem at that time of the Passover were pro-Jesus. They were pro-Jesus. They were fascinated by his teaching, and they knew of his mighty works of power, so they came up with a scheme here, these men, to either turn the crowds against Jesus or trick him into incriminating himself with the Romans. We see three main things, then, in this interaction between Jesus and those that uh, they sent uh, to trap him. First, that we ought to beware of insincere men who fear man rather than God. Second, that we are to know that Christ sees through our insincerity. And third, that human rulers may only take what belongs to them. Everything else, including ourselves, belongs to God. We belong to God. So first, beware of insincere men who fear man rather than God. Verse 19 to 22. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Now the main thing we are to see here in these verses is that these men pretended to be sincere. But yet, 
have evil intentions. They approach Jesus, as J.C. Ryle put it, covered under a cloak of goodness. They were sent by the Jewish religious leaders in order to spy on Jesus, to watch him and try to set a trap for him that they might be able to catch him in what he said. They want to get him into trouble, primarily, as you see in verse 20, so that they might deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor, that is, to Pilate, the Roman governor ruling over Jerusalem at the time. Their end goal is to get Jesus crucified by Rome, which is something Jesus has already informed us and his disciples that they will eventually be successful uh, at doing. But they'll have to do better than trying to outsmart him. That's not going to work with Jesus. And their scheme will get even more dark and wicked until they have him. So they come to Jesus with, with a question, and they approach him with praise, with lavish praise. They, they compliment Jesus. They tell Jesus um, that, that they know that he speaks and teaches rightly and shows no partiality. In other words, they are saying, you don't fear man like they do. And that, and that Jesus truly teaches the, the way of God. They, they, of course, are fearing the crowds. They fear the crowds, and so they act like they are one of them. That they are followers of Jesus instead of his enemies. And what's ironic is that all that they say here about Jesus is true. It's true. I'm sure they, I'm sure they, they sounded convincing to most of the people who heard them. But they obviously did not mean a thing that they were saying. They didn't believe what they said. They're just pretending to be sincere in order to set this trap for Jesus with this question. And God's word condemns insincerity. God's word condemns falsely praising others or flattering them in order to, to win their trust. It's all about trying to fool somebody so, so you can then have your way with them. Fool somebody into making them look foolish. Evil, perverse men do it in order to have their way with women. And there's a long, sad history in the church of men who claimed to be Christians who pretended to be Christians in order to get Christian gals to go out with them or to marry them. Co-workers flatter and, and falsely praise each other in order to take advantage of, an, of another worker, in order to get them to, to cover their shifts or, or to do their work for them. Politicians may be the most well-known for their insincerity in order to win votes and remain in power. And you know that you have also done this in various ways. And God's word, again, has some, some pretty strong and direct things to say about pretending to be sincere. In Proverbs chapter 26, uh, verse 23, through the end of that chapter, we, we read this. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips. 
and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Jesus also had some pretty strong words to say regarding uh, these pretenders. In, in Mark chapter 7, verse 6, he quotes the prophet Isaiah in accusing them of their insincerity. He said then, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, these people, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And Jesus was, was addressing some of the most religious people in all of Israel when he said that, that which reveals, of course, a big problem that is still in the church today. That, that is, many who come to church on Sundays, who sing the songs praising Jesus and thanking him for his grace, are in actuality simply pretending to be sincere. They may say all the right things, they may, they may, they may play the part of a faithful Christian fairly well because they really want to be known as one, but in their hearts they have no fear of God, they have no devotion to his ways, they're just simply going through the motions on Sundays, but on every other day of the week, they are not ruled by the word of Christ, but they are ruled by their own sinful desires. Friends, that was me. That was me when I was in junior high and high school. So how about you? How sincere are you in your profession of faith? Well, after their, their flattery here, the, the, the spies asked Jesus a question meant to trap him by how he responded to the question. That's in verse 22. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Is it lawful to do this thing or not? This question is a simple yes or no question. Yes, it's lawful or no, it's not lawful. They want Jesus to give an answer of either yes or no. They assume that he'll answer no. That it is not lawful to give tribute to Caesar. That God does not want us to do such a thing. For, for then, because there were so many people in the crowd listening to his teaching, word would surely get back to Pilate, the governor who was in Jerusalem for the festival, and he would no doubt have Jesus arrested on suspicion of insurrection against Rome. The Romans took things like this very seriously. Just 25 years earlier, another Galilean named Judas fiercely opposed the imposition of a Roman tax which led to an uprising in Jerusalem. Pilate would, would do whatever he had to do in order to prevent another one of those. But if Jesus would answer yes to their question... Well, then that would get him in trouble with many of his own followers since, since, they would, or since that would be interpreted as his complicity with their Roman oppressors. Many, if not most of his followers, believed that the Messiah would be the one God sent to overthrow their Roman oppressors and establish his kingdom in Jerusalem. So a, po a, a positive response would dash these hopes and would lead to the crowds turning against Jesus. So these insincere men believe they had Jesus trapped. 
But of course, they had really no idea who they were dealing with here. So secondly, we are to know that Christ sees through our insincerity. Christ sees through our insincerity. That's in verse 23. But he perceived their craftiness and said to them. He perceived their craftiness and said to them. They, they, they may have fooled everyone else in the crowd. I would imagine there were many in the crowd who were grateful to these men for asking a question that maybe they were also wondering about. I'm sure everyone in the crowd were, were very quietly listening and, and eagerly awaiting what Jesus' answer was going to be. When I was at the uh, theology conference uh, for pastors, following every session, the speaker would remain at the podium, and they would allow uh, uh, any of us uh, in, in, in the crowd who had a question, just raise our hands, uh, and uh, they would bring a microphone over to us, and, and, and if, uh, if we, we, we were called upon, uh, we could ask a question. Most of the questions were really just of interest to the one who asked it. But there were a few questions that were asked where I know many of us were like, yes, yes. I was hoping that question would be asked. I was wondering the same thing. Let's see how he responds to this one. For those questions, it would get just a little quieter in the room. People would, would remain seated. They wouldn't get up and leave. They, they, they would lean in and listen closely to how the speaker would respond. And we were so thankful someone asked the question that we were all hoping would get asked. So I would imagine that there was a similar sentiment here in the temple, in the crowds, as Jesus was asked this question. You know, yeah, Jesus, what, what about taxes to Caesar? What should we do about that? But Jesus knew this wasn't a genuine question. Jesus saw right through their hypocrisy. He knew who he was dealing with here. He perceived their craftiness. So that shaped how he was going to respond to the question. These men may have fooled the crowd. Many in the crowd may have believed this was a legit question from some sincere believers or, or even followers of Jesus, but not Jesus. Jesus was, was not fooled. Luke reveals to us that he recognized their craftiness. He saw their insincerity. He knew who they really were. He could see their hearts. And we may be able to fool others. We must know we will never fool God. You'll never fool God. We may be able to get others to really believe that we follow Christ. That we really know the Lord. But God knows the truth. God knows our hearts. We won't be able to fool him. Psalm 44, 21 says, God knows the secrets of the heart. Earlier in Luke, Jesus, Jesus challenged the Pharisees who were, who were ridiculing him by confronting them with the same truth. He said, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. And in 1 Corinthians 3.19, the Apostle Paul warns believers to not deceive yourselves into thinking you can just say all the right things and really believe uh, you, you must be a Christian and right with God because you're able to act like one so well. He says God catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. 
So let us not believe we can just go through the motions of the Christian life. If that describes you and your regular practice, then, then confess that to God. Confess your insincerity before God today and turn away from it. Know that to be sincere is not to say everything you're thinking. It's not what it means. To be sincere is to mean everything you say. To mean it. To have it be a, a genuine representation of your heart, of who you are. Live a genuine life before God and before us here at Stanton Free. Cry out to the Lord to save you, to transform your heart, to cause you to be born again, to, to put your hope in Christ for your righteousness and for the forgiveness of your sins instead of your own ability to act that part and cross over the line and live out the part in genuine faith in Christ by the power of his spirit. And finally, to the last part of our passage, 24 through 26, human rulers may only take what belongs to them. Everything else, including ourselves, belongs to God. Here's his response. Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him at what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. So the spies that were sent to Jesus in order to lay a trap for him, again, to catch him in what he said, actually ended up being caught themselves. Like the poor old guy who every night would would set a few mouse traps in his basement floor, trying to catch those, those mice he knew were prowling around, and then each morning would then go down to check and see if he had caught anything over the night, only to have one of the traps snap right onto his own toe instead. For in Jesus' response here, he simply asked his questioners to show him a denarius. Show, him a, show me a denarius. This, this, of course, was the Roman coin worth about a day's wage for a common laborer. This was a Roman official currency for paying that poll tax, that tribute that they were asking about. This would have been the currency that allowed them to participate in the Roman economic system. And much like, like our coins and our official American currency uh, on our dollar bills, there, there was an image imprinted on the Roman coin. The denarius would have been imprinted with the image of the Roman emperor at the time, Tiberius Caesar. Historians tell us that there was also an inscription on the coins identifying whose image it was, whose image uh, was on that, that coin. It was, uh, the inscription read, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. Son of the divine Augustus. This ought to have been sickening to faithful Jews to have to carry around such a blasphemous statement on these coins. And now here is the true son of the, of the, of the divine, the true son of God, 
asking to have a look at Tiberius' coin and read his claim to be the son of a divine father. Immediately, his questioners produced this Roman denarius. They had one, readily available, which would have shown Jesus and, of course, all the people watching this that they were willing participants in this Roman economic system. They were indeed benefiting from the Roman economic system, and, they, and, and their having and carrying around these coins would have been an obvious confession of their participation in it. Jesus looks at the coin, then simply asks them, whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they, of course, said Caesar's. And then Jesus gives his simple and yet incredibly profound answer to their question, uh, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So does this mean Jesus is commanding that we pay our taxes, that we must pay our taxes, even if the tax system is unjust, even if Caesar was making himself and his family very wealthy because of it? Must we pay our taxes, even if our government uses our tax money to financially support what is evil? Well, Jesus is not dealing with all of those questions here. And there have been and will continue to be genuine questions regarding the ethics of taxation in different societies within this sin-filled, fallen world. But what Jesus is pointing out is that if you are participating in the economic system, as these Jews were who revealed that they had this Roman coin with them, then he's saying you ought to pay what you owe. So we can't take a moral stand and refuse to pay our local, state, and federal taxes if at the same time we are benefiting from that economic system that our taxes support. Have you and your family been kept relatively safe from foreign powers because of our federally tax-funded military that has protected our nation and our private property? Has your business benefited from operating within a free country where, where trade and buying and selling have been regulated with relative justice? Have you enjoyed driving on smooth, paved roads which are cleared of snow fairly quickly so, so we hardly have any trouble at all in traveling wherever we want to go? You do? Well, then you're benefiting from the taxes you and all of your neighbors are required to pay. So pay your taxes. As for the Jews in Jerusalem listening to Jesus here, they are also seeing another major point that Jesus is making here. He, he points to the Roman coin and asks again whose likeness and inscription are on it, and then concluded by saying literally, return to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Return it to him. It belongs to him. Return to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, for example, that coin with his name and image on it. And he also says, return to God the things that are God's. Jesus, as he often did, brought God into the conversation in a big way. You want to talk about taxes? You want to talk about what's right and wrong about taxes? We must first consider these things in light of the reality of God the maker of heaven and earth, the great I am, the one who just simply is, the one who was, who is, 
and whoever shall be the sovereign Lord and judge of all. Who is this Caesar compared to him? Caesar or any other ruler, they can demand their taxes. They can demand that we return their, their little, little coins and their, and their dollar bills back, but that's all they can take. God demands everything else. Everything else, including our own lives, belong to God. Which, of course, sounds a lot like the previous parable, doesn't it? God is the owner of us and all we have. He's, he's the owner of the vineyard. He will come for an accounting of what belongs to him. So Jesus intentionally pointed out that the, that the denarius had the imprint of the image of Caesar on the coin. He would have used the same word there that every single one of the Jews in the temple that day would have known immediately is also found in Genesis 1, verse 26, where God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Each of us, each of us has God's image imprinted in us. We, we have his likeness. We belong to him. So return to God the things that are God's. Caesar can have, can have our money, but he can't have our souls. He can't have our lives. We must devote ourselves fully to God, our maker and our redeemer. God demands far more than, than Caesar demands. But that's because Caesar may rule over just a tiny slice of his creation, but only at God's discretion. As the prophet Daniel said in, uh, to, to King Nebuchadnezzar, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. And the day will come when Caesar will stand before God in judgment with how he ruled that tiny slice of his creation. To use a contemporary example, Justin Trudeau up in Canada may freeze the bank accounts of those protesting his mandates. He may imprison those who don't agree with his policies. But one day, he must give an accounting before God Almighty with what he did with his people as will Putin, with whatever decisions he makes in the coming weeks, as will President Biden, as will President Trump. But Jesus Christ is the true son of the divine. Jesus Christ is the one who laid down his life for his people in order for all those who believe in him to be righteous and cleansed from all their sin. Therefore, not only do we belong to God because he made us, we have his image on us, we also belong to him because we were bought with a price, the price of the shed blood and the precious life of the Son of God. Therefore, we owe our allegiance, we owe our lives, we owe our devotion, we owe everything, everything, 
to him. You belong to God. Have you given your life to him? Have you returned to God the things that are God's? None of us need to fear what rulers and governments may do to us, for we belong to God. I I pray you will have returned to him what belongs to him, that you will offer it up to him before the day of his return comes.